Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, it is Thursday night, so you know that means we are talking college football here on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined as I am every Thursday during this college football offseason by my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni matt green down there in tequila georgia matt good evening sir how are you good evening sir every day is thursday sir is that a thing uh, we talked about it last week man the whole georgia the whole georgia no, state thing oh, okay fair enough i'm gonna play but yeah each a bit night nighthawks in the house man um we were talking before we got started not i mean i don't know what the rules are i know what the rules are on drinking and driving I'm not clear. Generally frowned upon. Well, I don't know what the rules are for podcasting uh, while uh, drinking or drinking while podcasting. (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's illegal. Well, it's not illegal, but I just wonder when it becomes not professional. And so, so much so that I just have to shut down the podcast for both of our sakes and uh, especially my career uh, with my name <laughs> on the show. Are you are you going to be a detriment with your two margaritas? Today? Oh man, you're just putting me on the spot like that. Um, I think I'm responsible. I think uh, I think the listeners can clearly tell I'm still coherent, and um, right. I won't I won't last I won't um, lack any college football expertise I under this that. under these circumstances. Uh, but you know, it was the parents' birthday. You know, had to yeah. get festive. You know. Uh, Happy birthday to Bill and Lynn. Give them a shout out <laughs> on the podcast. Mom's 65 now, bro. It's crazy. 67 and 65 are my parents. They don't seem that old. I thought it that was weird when you say it out loud. Because, yeah, like, like 67 dad, and 65 yeah. growing up, that was old as shit. Like that was, <laughs> that was like, I mean, they are, I guess my mom's retired. My dad's kind of semi-retired. I guess he mm-hmm. kind of still works, but that was like elderly when i was growing up but now it's like oh wow i feel like you guys still have plenty of years of just like active life left yeah is that how you framed it to them tonight at their birthday dinner (laughs) you guys got a few more years of active life left. exactly they feel the same way they're like yeah i don't think i'm that old like that's that number seems way too high it is weird to think about your parents like that because you're like, oh, they're my grandparents' age now. Like, they are old enough to be grandparents and it not be crazy to refer to them as a grandparent. For sure. I don't have kids, but my oldest brother, I mean, he's got um, two now. He actually has got a little girl and a little boy who's like less than a month old. So, so they are grandparents. What do they call them? They're a uh, Gigi and boom pa <laughs> i feel like my dad started boom pa as like a joke and then it was like they made a t-shirt for him so it was like he i guess we're with i guess we're going full boom pa but he feels like such a pops like that's what i always told him like you feel like a pops like pops is like the cool old guy right who dictates that do the grandparents dictate it because i don't have kids yet either uh, i don't i feel like this it. is a 21st century phenomenon like you it used to just be like whatever the kid could form words and say like that's what mm-hmm. he would call you it's like oh i guess he's calling me mimi like that's just what that's what he said so he didn't know how to pronounce my name so he just said something so i don't know but it, it feels like 21st century it's like uh it's like a battle like a, a 
like marking your territory like i'm gonna be called this and the other grandma's gonna be called this yes. kind of thing you know it is a thing you don't you no one's called the same thing on both sides of the family yeah for sure i guess you kind of gotta make the line in the sand i don't know i don't know what my parents are gonna be at all i have no idea i know my mom would hate grandma like that's out of the question there's no way in hell my my mom would uh sign off on that, that i feel like sure. i always thought grams and pops those are like the coolest kind of my dad's not really a pops no he is he's not a pops he's not a grandpa i don't know i think the other one um my brother's wife's dad is pop pop and i was mm. like i feel like pop pop's a classic That's i could a- see pop pop with my dad <laughs> one. but i also would just think of arrested development the whole time did you ever oh is it development? yeah who'd they call pop pop like Remember, that's what he uh, called it that's what the grandfather george Blue. that's what george michael called him yeah and oh he's like, okay Talk you what pop pop and uh he's like hey george michael when's that voice gonna drop <laughs> that's a show i need to watch it a second time or a third time honestly i just i fall asleep to it every night that that's a that's a that's an all-timer right there oh it's incredible it's and you'll always pick up something new every time that's true i feel like it's so there's so many layers to everything they're doing i've only like caught the surface level jokes like there's there's so many puns and shit they're they're making on there i feel like it's like i feel like it's like the smart person's dumb comedy oh yeah for sure um i want to talk about something real quick before we get started with this week's college football analysis matt green um i went to the tennessee smokies game and like you and i we're diehard gwinnett stripers guys like we we live and die for our <laughs> die hard die hard we we love the stripers um formerly the gwinnett braves we grew up with the gwinnett braves also just an all-time great hat like that g with the the braves outline i like that a lot but the stripers is okay because i'm also just not okay with like using the same name for the club like i love what is the one in uh, the disco jockeys yeah, I just I feel like there's just so much room for creativity. Yes. Like there's nothing there's no fun in being the Iowa Cubs. Like yes. come on, just do something do something wild. Yeah, the the mud the mudcats or something, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um but I went to the Smokies game for the first time uh with the lady on Friday night last week out there in Sevierville. Shout out to the glorious Dolly Parton and all her great. Is work. that what where is it? Yes, it's in Sevierville. Where is that near? Uh, Dolly Parton's hometown. Okay, I, d- I did not know that. I've heard of the are they the Tennessee Smokies? Yes. What um what organization is that? The Cubs. Okay, I've heard of that organization for sure. I didn't realize I didn't realize it was in some obscure city like that. Well, it's not. It's like 25, 30 minutes outside of Knoxville. Okay. No shade no shade thrown at severe here on the podcast. No, no. (laughs) There is a gigantic Bass Pro Shops right down the street, if that uh, illuminates some of it. I actually took some pictures on the way there, like the cigarettes, beer, and um, I forgot what the other uh, thing they were advertising on the side of the road was when we were getting close. I very much enjoyed that. But um, yeah, it's like built like a cabin. It's pretty great, uh, the the whole park. But they're going to be moving to downtown Knoxville very soon. They're building like a huge state-of-the-art uh, park downtown that's in the early stages. Um, but what I will tell you is, so fans are coming back, Matt. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm excited for 100% capacity. Like, I'm excited to go to a Tennessee football game this fall. What if it being 100% capacity? I'm excited to feel that energy again. I'm excited to feel just what it, why we love sports. 
again because you just need fans back. Like as we saw in that Knicks Hawks opener, it's just berserk. Say what you about the Knicks fans and them spinning on Trey last night was deplorable and like the dumbass fan who was dumping popcorn on Russell Westbrook. Like, I don't know where you are. That's whack. I, I'm all for like, yeah, fans getting up, hostile environment, everything. Like, that was weak. Honestly, well, just the fight him. So, like, just Westbrook the F U Trey Young chant in general. Like, that's whack. Like, you can like the balding chant, whatever, do something to heckle him, but like just just straight up, like no no dancing around, no creativity, just just fuck you, Trey Young. Like, come on, show us a little more creativity than that. Well, what I'm getting to here, Matt, is that people have not been able to be around a bunch of other people in a year. And I wonder part of how this is going with all these people is like they're just they're overcompensating because they have not been able to do this for so long that they're just like getting mm. it all on their system. All the horribleness they've had building up for a year. I mean, you saw them in the streets, right? Like celebrating yeah. like they won the finals, like harassing Kevin Herter's family and stuff. Like yeah, it's, it's wild, up. man. I'm hoping that it's just an early phase of things getting back to normal. What I will say though, and the reason I bring all that up is because at this particular game that we were at Friday night, there was a uh, there was a dad, uh, two seats over from me, with his son, and I made the mistake of being friendly. It'll never happen again, Matt. It's never gonna happen again. I'm never gonna be friendly at a ballpark game ever again. Like it's over. Being friendly for a while, it's over. It was my mistake. I made eye contact. I did the pleasantries, and it backfired. Backfired. Stay in your lane. This is what happens. Like the wire says, this is what happens when you are out here giving a fuck when it ain't your turn to give a fuck. So this man takes my just general um, niceness and pleasantries and courtesy of just being like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, uh, you enjoying the game, blah, blah, blah. Um, he does not leave me alone, Matt, for a solid five innings. I got it. Multi- There's a picture that the lady took of me of me just like lying back trying to watch the game and him just like leaning over his son telling me about working at Ingalls being retired uh his daughter <laughs> being married without him there uh his time like his wife getting her masters online um what his son does and what he's talented at showing me pictures of his son's gaming setup while leaning over this kid to show me all of this stuff it was excruciating i people just they've forgotten their social skills after this year (laughs) that's what i'm saying people have forgotten their social skills and like the cues where i'm just like dude i am doing everything in my power not to tell you to leave me alone like i it's cool that you're here just talk to your son just leave me alone like i i leave me alone i don't care like i don't want to be mean but i don't care i don't care about any of this i don't like leave me alone i'm here to watch this game and it was a great game, too. And he just wouldn't stop. Like, whenever I made eye contact, he would lean back over. Um, he asked me about my faith at one point during this at a baseball game. Seventh inning. Asked me if I was mm. prepared for the rapture. I kid you not, Matt Green. It was the night. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> Part two next week. I'll, I'll, I'll eliminate on that. Uh, anyway, that's tough. That- me, and I, me and Tori got in a situation like that at Waffle House. Like, we went to a Waffle House, and she's just... She's super friendly with everybody, and like, like we came back like another time, and this girl like took took the table from like a different server because she's like, oh, we're like we're tight, and it's just like <laughs> we're not really that tight. Like we're just being friendly. Like that was kind of rude. We could have just 
taking the other guy, you know, like it was, it got awkward to the point we didn't go back to that Waffle House after that. It was just like, she was too friendly. She got too friendly too quick. By the chicken place? The chicken place? No, it's actually the one Buford on 20 uh, in front of like the Hobby Lobby. Oh, actually, it's not a Hobby Lobby anymore. Across here from Home Depot. You know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. Right next to a... When I'm back in Atlanta. There's like literally six Waffle Houses probably in like a five mile radius from there. But yeah, it's... There's not as many in Knoxville, surprisingly. I would have expected more. I mean, there's some on like... There's two on the same exit in Atlanta. I'll be honest. We used to go all the time. The blue... And then they discontinued the blueberry waffle. Mm Mm-hmm. And that that changed everything. We're just like, I mean, I and now we have a house to ourselves. It's like if I want breakfast, I can just cook some bacon and eggs whenever I want. You know, it's like I don't, I don't need to go to Waffle House and pay for that. I feel like we do some bomb breakfast at our at our house. So I don't, I don't. That's like the, that's like one of those meals that like people love to do. Like brunch is like a fun thing, you know. And I always yeah. just have a, tr- I have a problem playing for brunch because I'm like. I feel like the bacon and eggs and potatoes and French toast and stuff we make at the house are as good as anything we get out in the, at a restaurant. I don't want to pay for it. Well, but you're not doing brunch for that. You're doing brunch for the social aspect. That's true. It's the vibe. The mim- the the mimosas. Yeah, you're not doing. That's that what you go to brunch for. Is the yeah, mimosas like that? The food's up just an added plus, and it's also just to keep you alive throughout the That's... day, so that you're not uh, you're not you're not struggling. You're not on the struggle bus. That's fair. Um, yeah. No, I. Uh, what a what a weekend! Uh, but that's our college football weekend wrap up, the off season edition. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are some news items that I want to get to before we get into our main event, which will be the transfer portal mess. You got an Excel doc. You did some homework this week, Matt. I'm I'm proud of you. But I did um, a little something something. I want to start my favorite. I got the headband. I'm a Zach Wilson lifer. Um, you are. Know there was already one on the way. Isaac Wilson already getting recruited by uh, BYU with an offer. Um, still a couple years away. Same school that uh, Zach Wilson came from. Would you? The reason I bring that up. Would you follow your brother when he was like, just like a legend like that? Would you want to follow one of your older brothers if they were, if you were a quarterback and they were just a legend quarterback at Georgia, or would you want to go somewhere else? That's tough, right? Because I feel like I could see wanting to do something somewhere else, but. If my brother was somewhere and, like, he had such a great experience there, you know, it's like I was obviously a fan rooting for that team while he was there. So, I don't know. It depends. And especially BYU is kind of a different thing if you come from the whole Mormon faith. Like, maybe that's just been your dream school the whole time. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it I could understand going both ways, you know, like from uh, Peyton Manning's perspective, kind of wanting to – carve your own path but eli wanting to go where where archie was a legend so you could you can see the benefits of of both ways what about you i have no idea what arch is gonna do um that is a really good thing that i'm excited to see and he's he's what he's he's 2024 he's he's 2024 class or is he 2023 he's gonna be like a freshman this year right i want to say freshman or sophomore i think several years yeah, the 2022 class is rising seniors. I think he's 2024. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, he's he's got some time, but he's already getting like a lot of I think I want to say he's a rising sophomore. Maybe he's a sophomore this year and a rising junior next year. I could be wrong, but I, that's what I thought. I thought he was like a rising sophomore or yeah, I don't know. Um he's 2023, so that's okay. he's a rising junior. 
Okay, so he's a sophomore now. That's yeah, it's currently a so. I guess uh, I don't know if school. I think it was last day of school in Gwinnett County. So uh, I don't know how it is up in over in New Orleans, but uh, he might be officially done with his sophomore year. There you go. Um, poor Shane Beamer. I want to bring this up. Did you see who uh, Shane Beamer is starting off his SEC experience with, and at what time? I did. This is brutal. Tell the listeners what's in store for Shane Beamer. It is a uh, ESPN 7 o'clock between the hedges in Athens, Georgia. I uh, it just What did he do to deserve that? I, I'm a, personally a fan of South Carolina and Georgia being moved back to the uh, start of the season. I feel like that was always kind of a staple, like the first SEC game of the year for Georgia always being in South Carolina and it it was always under Spurrier, you know, it was always a good game. Like it was always seemed to be kind of one of those like just gritty 16 to 12 kind of games, you know, kind of ugly, but it was just kind of set the tone for the sec season. It seemed to kind of be one of those games like Florida, Tennessee pretty early on in the year. But, um, yeah, as far as your first game and sec play that, that's the thing when you, when you go to one of these programs, it's not the, one of the, the, the the proven traditions in the SEC, like that schedule's brutal. You know, it's like at least on LSU's schedule, they don't have to play LSU every year. You know, they at least get one break. But at South Carolina, you're you're playing everybody. It, I just think people need to prepare themselves. Or maybe Gamecocks fans who got really mad at us about the our predictions before last year. I think they're going to be the worst team in the SEC this year. When I'm looking at the schedule, looking at the talent pool. I just I don't think it's gonna be Vanderbilt. Like Vanderbilt's too easy, and Clark Lee is going to get them like a win or two extra just from his coaching acumen and what that defense is gonna do. And they're gonna overachieve a little bit. Like Vanderbilt's gonna they're gonna sneak around and get three and nine. And I could see South Carolina doing two and ten or three and nine. I think they're gonna be right there, neck and neck, fighting for that bottom spot. Yeah, without Someone a doubt. Be bad. Like that's the other thing is like when you people talk up certain teams, I'm like, okay, who's falling? Who, who's who's falling? Florida, uh, uh, Kentucky, um, Mizzou's climbing. Well, and I feel like Missouri. If you look at Missouri, I feel like they never play anyone out of the conference. Like they don't have like that Kansas rivalry we talked about. Although Kansas obviously isn't good, but they don't have any of those built-in non-conference rivalries that so many of the teams in the SEC East have. So it's like South Carolina is playing Clemson every year. So they don't even they don't even get to get like those four free wins, if you will. So it's like they're they're automatically going three at one at best at a conference. And then, you know, maybe maybe one or two, maybe three wins in the conference and you're not like this year who they have, they have Texas A&M and Auburn from the West. It's like that's not one of the better draws for South Carolina to get. So Auburn is at home this year, so you know, we'll see. But like you said, like they, the Vanderbilt is, seems to be the team that's kind of always just predicted to be the bottom of the barrel. But Vanderbilt's given South Carolina their problems for the years. Like that's been a back and forth rivalry for sure. And, and Clark Lee and uh, Shane Beamer, first year head coaches, like we don't really know which way that's going to go. So it's like, if you don't, if you don't beat Vanderbilt, then you might not beat anyone in the SEC. Like, they got Eastern Illinois. Uh, let's just do, run through real quick. Eastern Illinois. Then they got East Carolina. 2-0. Oh. 
at Georgia lost to him. East Carolina, is that just like a go right over that? Is that an automatic win? They're even one of the more bad. They're one of the more respectable teams at that at that level. I don't think they were they weren't good last year though, right? No. No, they were not. So you would hope that's you would hope that's two and oh. Yeah. So let's just for the benefit for them, let's just do two and oh there. At Georgia, two and one. Kentucky at home, two and two. Troy at home, three and two. At Tennessee, remember Tennessee beat them on the road last year. Um, I think Tennessee should be favored in that game. Two and four. The pivotal game right here. Vanderbilt. Or excuse me, three and four. That gets them to four. Let's just say they beat them. Four and four. At Texas A&M. Yeah, if you give them four and four, that I feel like that's the last game they're winning of the season, honestly, right? They are likely to lose their last five. They get at A&M, Florida at home, at Mizzou, Auburn at home, and then Clemson at home. Yeah, they're, I would say they're, four almost seems like their max. Like, I would say five is like their, their true. They're not going bowling, which is the point. Five is their true max, but I think they'd be lucky to win four. Now you go through that. Like, I think those first two I'll give you and Troy. But like we said, that's three wins at a conference. You give them one in the SEC, that's probably reasonable. And then it's going to be tough to find another win on that schedule. Like, we're not South Carolina haters on this podcast, but this is the same thing we were doing last year. You're like, we thought they were kind of decent coming into last year, but we're like, I don't I don't know where the wins are going to happen. I don't see them happening on this schedule. And I kind of feel the same way in the 2021 season. Like, it's, it's probably four wins at best. Speaking of overrated uh, teams we don't like on this podcast, TCU, getting a lot of Big 12 buzz. Um, I think teams are, or people who are talking about the Big 12, they're just like, what if we just got bored of talking about Iowa State? And we were just like, what if we just forgot about them for a little bit and got people interested in the Big 12 again? Let's just throw a wrench in it. Let's throw Gary Patterson, Mr. 500 of the last five years, into a Big 12 gauntlet situation. They're bringing back Max Duggan. Cool. Do you know what they're doing? There? You know what's going to be great? This is something else right now. What's going to be great is the TCU hype train is going to be ended rather quickly. They get to Quincy to kick off things. Great. Want to know. They get Cal, who is the favorite, in my opinion, to win the Pac-12. That is going to be an early, like, oh, yeah, TCU is not going to win the Big 12 situation because I think Cal... Cal? Hold on, hold on. Cal is your favorite to win the Big 12? Well, not the Big 12, the Pac-12. Or Pac-12? That's your, That seems like a hot take right there. Are you, are you not a Chase Garbers guy? Have I'm just thinking most people are thinking USC, Oregon, maybe Arizona State. You're going Cal? I would go Cal 1... Oregon two, depending on their quarterback situation. USC three, yeah. Okay, hot takes over here. Justin Wilcox got a good program. Bill Musgrave running that offense. Garbers is really good. Um, I think Cal is the most complete team of the group. I could be wrong. Could be wrong, but Cal is my favorite. Um, Then they get SMU, a very good SMU team under Sonny Dykes. Then they get Texas with Sark. That that's just that's how it's going to go for them. The first four weeks of the season, Um, they could easily be one and three there. And then we can move on. I, I'm just I'm not a TCU like as a dark horse kind of guy. Not I spare me on the Gary Patterson revitalization tour. Like that is one where I'm like, yeah, Matt Wells should be on the chopping block at um, Texas Tech. But like, why does Gary Patterson not get more buzz of like maybe it's time to get a fresh voice in there? Well, and the pa- the Big Twelve in general, I'm just 
I feel like I don't believe in anyone outside of Oklahoma. You know what I mean? It's like... Hold on. I believe in Iowa State very much. I just feel like Iowa State's good enough to beat Oklahoma in the regular season. Like, okay, Oklahoma may have, like, kind of come in a little overconfident, you know, kind of didn't respect the opponent kind of thing. They seem to do that every year, kind of just lose a game to a team that they're just kind of... It's inexplicable, just they're unranked or something that Oklahoma's clearly better than, but for whatever reason they lost like that big comeback Kansas state had uh, a couple years ago, like Oklahoma just seems to drop one of those games every year. But then by the time the conference championship is coming around, it's like, it's Oklahoma versus whoever, Texas or Iowa state. And it's like, no one can ever, no one seems to ever be able to beat Oklahoma twice. Right. It's like, okay, you had a cute season, but you're still going to finish second in the big 12. This is still Oklahoma's conference. Like, don't get it twisted. And that's, that's kind of how I feel. Like maybe TCU sneaks up, beats Oklahoma, but it's like when December comes, Oklahoma seems to always take care of business. Yeah, we, we shall see. Betting against Oklahoma in the big 12 is, is rather silly, especially considering Spencer Rattler is probably the best quarterback and, uh, college football this fall probably yeah and from you know from what you hear this 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 should be the best oklahoma team lincoln riley's had i don't know if you saw my twitter activity about a week or so ago but oklahoma fans were giving it to me man after those uh coaching rankings came out they were i was going back and forth for a couple of days with some oklahoma fans it was uh <laughs> it was good stuff you're just lighting the fire. I like it, Matt. You're you're just lighting the fire. Um, I just personally think Lincoln Riley gets too much credit mm. and not enough blame. Like, it's like he's this offensive guru and everything. Like, Kirby Smart, like, I always bring it back to him because there's two young coaches that are kind of under that same level of standard. Although I think Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day inherited such better programs than Kirby Smart did. So... I just always wonder, like, what Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day have done to automatically say they're ahead of Kirby. It's like Kirby gets blamed for the quarterback position not being, just not developing it as well. But Lincoln Riley's entire defense hasn't been good, and it's like we kind of pass over that. You know what I mean? So Lincoln Riley's lost his games to some unranked teams, but I don't think I give him enough credit maybe for, as a coordinator, still when Bob Stoops was the head coach, he came and kind of you know, really had an impact on the offense. But for a guy who's had, you know, multiple Heisman Trophy winners, multiple, like, number one picks, it's like we we celebrate that, but we don't we don't criticize it for, like, you had a number one pick in the draft and you still couldn't win a national championship. You know what I mean? It's like it's kind of a double-edged sword that it seems like Lincoln Riley gets kind of all the credit but none of the blame. I have a new rule that I want to posit about this too. Like when we're looking at who deserves to like get more blame or anything like that. Like I was thinking about this with Notre Dame because I was talking to Tiger Illustrated, Larry Williamson. He was talking about the disparity in Clemson and uh, the rest of the ACC. And there's a lot of reasons. And you can check out the podcast, uh, folks, if you want to get that full explainer there. But um, one of the things that I thought was interesting was that like <laughs> I just – with Notre Dame, and I'd forgotten just how many ten win seasons he's had. Uh, Brian Kelly has had in a row at Notre Dame, and just what he's done, and we obviously know what happens in the playoffs with them. But like, I think we should just have a rule where if they don't have a Brady Quinn or a Jimmy Clausen, they're just not allowed in. 
I think that is the only thing that's going <laughs> to give them a shot. It's like with Oklahoma, the reason they always have a shot is because they have these number one picks. Like, but what is what is a Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen? Like Jimmy Clausen wasn't like any kind of superstar or anything in college. Like he was supposed to be a superstar. Well, that's what I'm saying. The supposed superstar. Like until we get a five star quarterback in South Bend, they're not allowed back in because I think that's. <laughs> make them competitive i really believe that i think the only way that they're gonna have a shot against these other teams is like they have to have a quarterback a special special quarterback to alleviate the limitations they have um against the bamas and the clemsons like they just i feel like clemson should have to give one of their five stars or bama should have to give one of their five stars <laughs> i personally don't think brian kelly gets enough credit like okay. like i argue a lot when when I see Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley ahead of of Kirby Smart and like these coach rankings, but if I see Saban one, Dabo two, and Brian Kelly three, I'm kind of like, you know, I respect that. Like Notre Dame was, it's a tradition, but you know they had they'd kind of had a long long period of irrelevance in college football. So he really restored Notre Dame to being a team. Like maybe they. You know, people have been mad about their performances in the college football playoff and and thinking they weren't deserving of either time they got in. But they they've been a quality program. They've been a legit contender over the last you know five to ten years. Like I think there's one kind of hiccup four win season in there. But for the most part, this team's went in ten, even eleven, twelve games, and I feel like Notre Dame is at least back in that. They're clearly a top ten program in college football now. Like they're they're a legit contender year in and year out, and it's not just because of their name. Like they might be getting, you know, that that benefit of the doubt, getting the four seed over over being number five, maybe because of that brand name. Like that might still play a factor, but they are still they are a legit contender, and I don't I don't feel like people necessarily give kelly enough credit just because you kind of want to hate on on notre dame because of all the the rules that apply to notre dame that don't apply to everybody else and and that kind of just perception of who they are but you know he's definitely turned him into a, a legit program here in the last in the last few years i'm also just sad they're leaving the acc they're, they're still gonna play a couple games in the acc this fall but like highlighted probably by florida state and i'm excited to see what happens there but um just put them in any conference no, yeah the ACC is cool because the ACC. i didn't realize how boring clemson has made it <laughs> that's true monopoly on it and then you throw notre dame in there and you're like oh this is what it's like when clemson has real competition like this is this was cool like that notre dame clemson game was amazing and i'm, I'm glad that that happened and I, you can make all the comments about trevor lawrence not being there like that's great that's cool but like dj balled out it wasn't just trevor lawrence not being there there was more to it and also you're just an angry person if you can't uh just appreciate there was, the game was. there were some guys on defense missing too but but yeah it's exactly there was still no one else in the acc was would be good enough to beat him without trevor lawrence and a couple of key guys on defense missing and that's my main point is that it was cool to have some real competition in the regular season for Clemson. Uh, it's just, if you look at them geographically, like they couldn't be more, they couldn't be more in the center of big 10 country. Like it's, yeah. it's like I the exact geographic 10. center. Yeah. I don't want them in the big 10. I don't want them. In. My bigger concern is the big 12 expanding and stop calling yourself the big 12 when you have 10 teams like that. That's just, really nah, it's, it's, it's terrible, but they yeah. should be in the big 10. They're just, they're classic big 10. Like Notre Dame should be playing Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state. Like that's Indiana and Purdue. It's like, that's, that would just fit so much more. Like that's, that's who they are. I just, I wish they would be in that conference. 
but they'll do it. They'll do their independent piece today, Matt. I don't know if you saw it, but it was asking the question. There's never been a more college football is very much in the the boring is the the most boring part of the off season, which is is OU or Texas the better job? Um, in what universe is OU not a better job than the University of Texas? I I don't even know where to begin with this question. Like, if you're good, they're going to give you time. Like, Oklahoma has maybe the best D80 in college football. Uh, people love that dude. They swear by that dude. Um, you get time. The expectations are high. But also just, like, it's just a machine. And it's a normal machine. You don't have to deal with the outside craziness that is being the football coach at Texas. Like, the donors and just the Longhorn Network and just everything that goes into being the head coach of the Longhorns. Like, it's just a way more stressful job. It's way more difficult. It, the fans are way crazier. I, I don't even think it's, like, a conversation worth having. I think there are conversations of football worth having. But, like, if you were to ask me, is TCU a better job than Texas? Now, that would be fascinating because it's, like, can, can, do you believe you can still win enough there to make it worthwhile to not take the Texas job when you're in a close area geographically and um, TCU is one somewhat big um, since moving to the Big Twelve there, but like that now would see, be interesting. But yeah, I think I think, I think it comes with the the resources that Texas yeah. has. You know, it's like and it just you know the perception of football in Texas is just like you know peanut butter and jelly or something. You know, but it's like Oklahoma is like they are Texas without being in Texas. You know, they essentially recruit the state of Texas as if they were a home state school, you know, like Texas, I've always compared them to England, like in European soccer. It's like, there's something about them that like, it's just pretentious. And like, it's not that they, it's not that like they should be competing for titles. It's like they're entitled to be competing for titles. It's like, and if you can't do that in three or four years, get the hell out of here. Cause we'll find someone who can, cause it's an easy job. You're just terrible and you're fucking it up. You know, it's like, and so I feel like, you know, you go through so many coaches after three or four years and it can start to soil kind of the the perception of your program that it's too difficult. There's too much pressure around it. And I kind of feel like that's where Texas is. Like, I think Texas and Texas A&M is a legitimate conversation. Like, I don't think yeah. TCU, they're nowhere close. But well, no, the reason I Texas A&M... Like, do you prefer the limitations you have in the state of Texas, but also knowing that you're in the state of Texas, you're in a Power 5 conference, and... The fans aren't as crazy, but when you do win 10 or 11 games, it's like a, a huge deal and you get to enjoy it rather than it just be expected every single year. That that was more my question. That's true. I think Baylor is prob- might be a better job than than TCU, honestly. Like Baylor seems like they've they've competed kind yeah. of you know, at the, consistently as well as as TCU has, but A&M has the SEC thing going for them and you know, everyone talks about their resources and their stadium and everything. Like, but name's a better job now, I would say. But it's also harder to win because coming out of the SEC West, I would say like it's tough to unseat Oklahoma at the top of the Big Twelve. But I think that's easier than than getting out of the SEC West with Alabama. Like like we saw last year. Like that last year's. You know, the best season Texas A&M has had in the last two decades, you know, you know, it's it wasn't as sexy as the year with Johnny Manziel in 2012. But, you know, they went 10 and one 
rank finished rank number five, but they couldn't get out of the SEC West. You know, like mm-hmm. I honestly don't know if if that team had been in the ACC, if they had been in the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, like they might could have won one of those conferences, but. You know, getting out of the SEC West with Alabama, it's it just it makes it it adds another obstacle to it. Even though you do have all those advantages that the state of Texas has, yeah. Well, let's get into our main event, Matt Green, the transfer portal. What uh, what you, you got to document? How would you like to lead? You're going to lead this portion of the conversation. So I just um I know you saw the uh 24/7 Sports came out with their top 100 rankings of the uh of the players in the transfer portal and mm-hmm. I thought uh we we start with the winners and losers of the portal. So um of what the top loser Tennessee. Unfortunately it is, man. 8 8 players in the top 100 of these 24/7 rankings are coming from Tennessee and that doesn't necessarily do it justice because number 1 two seven eleven and 20 all are going are all are coming from tennessee and i think shoot i think what is that number two number seven and number 20 are all going to oklahoma from tennessee so they got a nice little pull there but yeah so tennessee it's got to be frustrating you know but this is what teams are gonna have have to get used to. It's when you when you make that tough call to hi, to fire the head coach, you're automatically gonna see that team automatically lose some players. It's just it's the the era we live in now. But so seeing Tennessee lose lose eight players, that was definitely the most. Oklahoma lost five of these top 100, but they also gained four. So you know, kind of a wash there. I yeah. think um, Florida State is probably one of the biggest winners. They they added six of the top 100 players um, in this on these 24/7 rankings. But um, I think the the biggest one, like the the wild card, could potentially be Georgia. I don't know if you've seen the rumors going around the last couple of days, but you know we all know Darion Kendrick got dismissed from Clemson. So I guess. He does count against Clemson, but he was kind of kicked off before he decided to transfer. So people are speculating that his charges are going to be dropped or reduced or something. And a lot of people think he's going to end up at Georgia. And that could be big for Georgia had a lot of experience at the cornerback position. You know, we talked about losing four or five players were drafted from Georgia secondary this year. And so if he ends up in Athens, that would be huge. Obviously Georgia opens the season with Clemson. That adds a whole nother wrinkle, but also there's been more talks. Rusty Mansell and my, for my money, Rusty Mansell is the best recruiting insider in the game. And Rusty Mansell said, he's got a guy who thinks Eric Gilbert is going to end up at Georgia. And if Eric Gilbert ends up at Georgia, that's just going to be insane for this Georgia offense in 2021. So dumb. Where's the room? How is he going to play? I mean, I think this guy, he's a wide receiver, honestly. He's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. Right. You're so. still deep at wide receiver. Where is he playing there? This guy, I think he's good enough to play like anywhere. Like he's he's a first round talent. Job from is what I'm saying. I think he's like with George Pickens likely to miss the 2021 season. Although like some people speculate that he could be back. I don't. He could come back and still decide to opt out. You know, who knows? He's going to be a first-round pick. Like, Eric Gilbert, I think, could be more talented than any wide receiver Georgia has on their team. Like, Georgia has, you know, Jermaine Burton, Kiaris Jackson, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Dominic Blaylock. Like, all those guys are solid, but I don't think any of those guys are, like, legit, like, stars. Like, I think Eric Gilbert 
is is a dude as they say like i think he's a guy he's like a, a first round pick like i think he's he's got that level of ability of like you get him on your on your team and he can play anywhere like i think i think he's that good and i don't know that he's gonna end up at georgia but i think there's there's currently six of these top 100 players are still uncommitted and those are the top two or two of the top three at, at number number three and number 19. So those guys could definitely sway this. George has gotten a couple guys out of the transfer portal, but they haven't done much that's going to impact this this 2021 season other than the um, the West Virginia transfer, Tyke Smith, who is one of the better defensive backs uh, in college football last year. That's, I think, going to be a big improvement for Georgia's secondary. But but if they were able to, to get Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick out of the transfer portal, like... I think Georgia immediately becomes the the big winner, mainly just because teams like Georgia, you know, that are at the top of college football, like they don't have as many needs to fill as like a Florida State does. So if, if they only have two or three real needs and they fill all three of them, like that's pretty massive, especially considering they're three of the of the top 20 players that that 24-7 has ranked here. Eric Gilbert would just be just be wild but yeah tennessee obviously got hit and a lot of this too is just like coaching changes so when you see like kansas is there when you see auburn on the list you look at ucf um we talked about the podcast i think was it last week or two weeks ago of florida state um just getting an insane amount of production from the portal and it's headline with mckenzie milton but it's not just milton they have a lot of dudes coming in there and they norvell is doing a really smart thing where he is recruiting better obviously he's got the the younger purdy coming in um he's got guys who are going to push uh jordan travis this fall but also just like that dude knows that there's going to be a talent discrepancy for a while um in tallahassee like the recruiting issues from the taggart era and the end of the jimbo era are still permeating throughout this program so it's going to take a couple years to figure this out but if you don't want to lose some games and you want to expedite this rebuild you gotta you gotta be active in the portal and norvell has just been very very active and that's why we have to look at it just like these teams might have a stronger jump than we expect just because of how active that they have been um georgia tech's another good example like we'll see people are starting to get some georgia tech buzz but what can you tell me about this uncommitted team they seem pretty good. Getting six in there, <laughs> uncommitted. Uncommitted is uh, looking pretty hot right now. Um, they got Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick, and um, who's that guy from USC? Uh, Paleg Geo Teote. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but um, but yeah, uncommitted. They should be pretty good next year. But but yeah, I don't think a lot of people really realized like kind of the 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 dire straits florida state was in like it was kind of strange because i think growing up in the 90s like you did like we consider florida state like one of those blue bloods even though their tradition doesn't really go back as far as those other blue bloods like florida state just seems like the kind of pinnacle of college football like that's not only were they good but they were like they had that swag too, like miami Deion sanders and everything you know and for for a coach like Jimbo Fisher to leave for for Texas A and M, you're just kind of like, huh? I guess Florida State might not be where I thought they were. So, I think that kind of shined a light on Florida State's a little behind those other traditions and where they need to be. And I think Mike Norvell, with how wide open the ACC is, like I think most people would say today that North Carolina is the clear 
number two team in that conference, I could easily see Florida State being the second best team in the ACC this year, just making a huge jump. Mm. I don't know. I think North Carolina is loaded. If you look at just the amount of returning guys, and yeah, losing Javante Williams and friends in the backfield will we'll harm a little bit, but I think Sam Howell's going to have a really good year, and they're just loaded on both sides of the ball, and Mac Brown has recruited his tail off. Um, For sure. Very early. So I think North Carolina is probably uh, going to be there. And then you have Cody Brown, who was committed to Tennessee. He's at Miami now. Miami's done a good job there. But Miami is just like... Oh, how? that's your uh, your Parkview guy? That is my Parkview guy. Um, you saw the... Uh, one state championship right baseball, baseball. Mm-hmm. i saw jeff francoeur hyping him up in the uh the braves telecast you love to see it you love to see it not great jeff francoeur that's a that's a tight I alum to have i i that'd be a tight personal rep jeff francoeur ever i feel like everyone loves jeff francoeur um did you see this is like a, a sidebar but this is something that's been driving me nuts as fellow as a fellow nighthawk Matt Green. I'm excited for the amount of people that we're going to push towards the University of North Georgia because they listen to this podcast and they had not considered <laughs> North Georgia before listening to us. Like, I'm not saying that we want some sort of financial um, payment for sending tuition dollars to the University of North Georgia on our behalf, but like you and I have talked about, the Green and Thomas Nesbitt building, renaming. I, I'm not a Thomas and Green Sounds like a Nesbitt's a solid name, though. I could never, I would never, I could never uh, live up to that. Oh, well, then I'll gladly take it myself. I mean, I was just doing (laughs) to share the name, but no, I I, I definitely want my name to replace Nesbitt um, and just be the the Thomas building and uh, old Merrill to have to walk into the Thomas building. Yeah, let's be honest. That's going to be the Merrill Morris building before it's the Chase Thomas building. Well, shout out to Dr. Jeff Marker. I know you got a lot of sway. You you wrote me a great letter of recommendation to UT. So did uh, Dr. Toker. So shout out to both of them. Um, The Midnight Toker. (laughs) That's what I always called her. I called her that to her face, to be fair, though. So it was funny. I wasn't talking behind her back. Well, she's also cool. Like she was, she was about it. She had a good sense of humor about everything. So, um, no, there's a reason I was bringing North Georgia. Oh, I know what it was. Um, did you see? Like I saw them competing in softball. Did you know? Like there's different logos. Like this, they're still using the old navy blue UNG, which is like the UNG old font. And like, oh, the old like, NG. It looks like the ng saint stuff and i'm like what is going on why are they still wearing outdated stuff because when you were covering the basketball team they were wearing the nighthawks gear weren't they like the new stuff i feel like they were still using that logo though that ng uh i feel like they kind of did a combination though i um on the i've honestly only been to the arena like the new built arena they built one time it was for tory to graduate they did the graduation there and i think i want to say they had the new logo on the court okay but yeah honestly i always wondered about that in general like i feel like gainesville students always kind of got like i don't know like an inferiority complex with dahlonega you know and i always felt like they're the ones that have the sports teams like why don't we just rebrand everything like they already have it like the saints saint bernard why do you need to change the mascot I, i didn't get that to begin with to be honest my parents were very upset about that about changing the mascot to the the nighthawks they were 
They were the like same. we had no tradition. What were we, like the fighting geese? Like it wasn't like an actual sports team. It was like how it was like how elementary schools have mascots. It's like yeah, you're a Riverside Rocket, but it doesn't really mean it. It doesn't really mean anything. Like I was a Walnut Grove Trailblazer and a Riverside Rocket. There was no actual. Is that real team? That's a real thing. I don't know if they're still that, but those were. Those are the real the real mascots. There was like, what was it? Uh, someone was the Raptors. Using a lot of NBA mascots, apparently. Deep cut. I like it. I like Who it. was it? Rock Springs? I think that's the new elementary school that opened. It was like Rock Springs Raptors or something like that over in like Collinsville. I, I believe you. I love that you're asking me. Like I'm familiar with the <laughs> uh, youth situation. Um, youth basketball situation. Um, which naturally brings us back to the transfer portal, Matt. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to um, talk about in terms of the portal and what uh, what what to make of all of these changes? Um, the last thing I'll say is I think one of the low key teams I think in the portal could be Florida. I mm. think um, I think they've gotten a couple defensive players that that. What if they got should... like an Eric Gilbert type? Oh, that would be great. They've always wanted one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, right behind Eric Gilbert, though, in 24-7's rankings is Demarcus Bowman, the the five-star running back from Clemson. And it's like when they got, when they got, who was it, Justin Shorter, the transfer from Penn State, that he was a former five-star, and they got Brenton Cox, the former five-star from Georgia. Like, when they got both of those, you were like... I mean, I've seen those guys play like they're fine, but they're not getting a five star. You know, they they might be getting a quality contributor, but they're not getting a five star. Like we haven't actually seen Demarcus Bowman play like before the season even really started or maybe it was after like one game he announced he was transferring to Florida. So, you know, he he could potentially be a stud running back and, and Florida struggled to have a a real stud in the backfield the last few years and we know how dan mullen is is going to want to run more with with emory jones as a running quarterback so if they could actually have a legit running back back there it could really it could really open up a dimension that we haven't seen from any of the dan mullen florida teams yeah we'll we'll see what happens i'm excited to see what florida and uh georgia do this fall i'm very curious to see how all that unfolds um because tennessee's not uh, gonna be uh playing for the sec east i, I don't imagine uh, i could be wrong could be wrong. But, uh, <laughs> they're not ready steps. Uh, they're not ready aaron willis is coming back it looks like that pretty soon um matt green we can follow you on twitter at matt underscore w underscore green follow myself at chase double underscore thomas as always um if you like listen to matt and i we do this podcast every single thursday um yes this is a daily podcast but thursdays is college football during the off season sundays and thursdays during the regular season uh matt let's uh workshop what we'll do um we'll have to talk about uh i will not be in town next week so i'm going to uh take my summer vacation next week with lady and go to go to florida so i'm, I'm dropping a real bombshell on me I there am. next week where are you I'm going off the grid jacksonville jacksonville okay i'm gonna stoke out the world's largest outdoor uh outdoor cocktail party really quick just see how it's looking see what the vibe is get the get, get the some everbank vocals. field vibes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. go see no how crazy people are about tebow just bring up the question at a sports bar and be like so what do you think of tebow and jacksonville 
Uh, I'm sure they won't have any opinions on it. I just I don't think people I, know that Jacksonville's more of a Florida Gators town than anything else. Like Jack Yeah, that's how I always felt growing up. Like I didn't know if it was really like legitimate, but I feel like cuz so many Florida State players, I think it was just really work done and like Derek Brooks played for the Bucks. It seemed like Florida State fans were Bucks fans, Florida fans were Jaguars fans, and then Miami fans were Dolphins fans. Like it, it I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of how I always felt. How most of it is, I would say. But it's just more of a Florida vibe. Like, you see a bunch of Florida stuff in Jacksonville. I think there was a place, oh man, I don't want to call it the wrong thing. I think it was called Burrito Gallery Mm. in Jacksonville. Highly recommend. It was Burrito something. Highly recommend it. I had it last time I was in Jacksonville. More than where you got uh, your margs tonight. Would you say it's better or worse? Oh man, I'm a big fan of this place that I got Margs at, at in uh, Swanee Parks. Uh, old Tequila Mamas. Okay, it's a quality spot in Swanee, Georgia, right? Swanee Park. But um, yeah, it was good stuff. I um, you know, I don't know if I put on that level. I don't think I don't feel like they had alcohol. I feel like it was just like a taco burrito type place. But um, I could be wrong. It was like five years ago I went there, so who mm. knows. It was it was on it was the uh the I was I was talking about going to the cocktail party again this year. The last time I went was the the famous Faton Balta game. So like we talked about that last week, I think. Yeah, that was the game that essentially did Mark Richt in. Like that was the decision to fire Mark Richt was made after that game. So uh you know, I haven't seen Kirby and the gang down in, in Jacksonville, so who knows how many more games are actually gonna be and I feel like the writing's on the wall for that to be moved to like a home and home game, so I bet you in the next five years we're going to see that this tradition end. There's not really a game I'm dying to go to this fall on the road for Tennessee. Like, we got a lot of great home games in, like, the Bama game. There's good luck getting a Bama ticket in Tuscaloosa for Bama-Tennessee. And then Florida, I don't really have an interest in going to Gainesville. Um, and that's it. Like, no Oklahoma on the schedule. You get uh, Pittsburgh at home. You get at Mizzou. I mean, even Ole Miss, the Kiffin return. I'll be there for that. But, like... I don't know. I mean, Ooh, the you know Kevin returns a good I one. Kentucky. I might go to Kentucky. UT Kentucky. I would highly recommend the trip to Gainesville. I will admit as a George Bulldog fan, I can't believe I'm putting this on the podcast. I was a Florida Gator fan for one day. I was legitimately a Florida fan for one day. 2012, Georgia. I don't know if you remember 2012, Georgia, South Carolina national like, college game day. It was like top five, top 10 matchup. South Carolina smoked Georgia at South Carolina. It was like 35-7 or something. Connor Shaw and Clowney and everything. So for Georgia to get back in the SEC race, we needed Florida to beat South Carolina. And that was also like game day. My buddy's a huge Florida fan. Like game day was there and everything. And I, I rocked blue. I didn't rock Florida, but I rocked a blue shirt. Like we legitimately needed Florida to win. And they did. And I was like... For for one day, I was legitimately a Florida fan, and in the swamp, I'll be honest, I've been told to sit down in Sanford Stadium before. Like first possession of the game, like defensive possession of the game, someone asked me to sit down. I'm like, bro, we're at a college football game. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what are you doing? You stand up. And I'll be honest, that at that Florida game I went to, there wasn't one person sitting the entire game. Like I was, I was a little jealous after I left that stadium. It was wow. a it, it was a rowdy atmosphere. So I would highly recommend going to the swamp if you if you can. That'd be a, that'd be a good trip to make. There you go, there you go. 
Uh, that that's the the last of the the nice words I'll say about Florida for the uh, for the foreseeable future. For that guy down there in Decula, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got, my friend. You'll be back after next week. I, I got to get a vacation in because it's going to be a busy summer and off season. I got to get a vacation in now. I, I got to do it. Got to do it, Matt Green. Got to come back. Sounds good, man. Enjoy yourself. Rested in tan. Um, all right, friend. Let's be honest. You're not going to get tan. Okay. Well, that part of the <laughs> podcast. All right, the Thursday edition of the Chase Downs Podcast rolls on where I am now joined by Zach Barry, a fellow Tennessean. Uh, I guess he's turned his back on Mississippi, the state of Mississippi as a whole, the whole Red Cup Rebellion, the Grove, everything. He moved to Nashville, everybody else is, but I'm on the other side of the state. Uh, Zach, good afternoon. How are you? Chase, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I would say it's been a while since I've technically turned my back. I uh, was only a resident when I was in undergrad. Mm. Uh, long, long, long been gone. But uh, I will, uh, I will venture back here and there to uh, to visit and uh, see some friends and family. But yeah, in Nashville, enjoying a uh, a lovely Thursday afternoon here. It is great here in Knoxville as well. Um... You have in your before we get into some Ole Miss stuff that I want to pick your brain on uh, this afternoon, Zach. Uh, Chili's is the new golf course. We we love Michael Scott. However, I have a follow up question for you because I've always been of the opinion that you can eat anything in the Chili's menu and enjoy it. There's not a bad thing on said menu. Do you do you agree with this assessment? No, that that that's one hundred percent factual. Uh, the menu, uh, it doesn't really change a ton. They'll add some seasonal things here and there. Um, the one gripe that I have with Chili's, the only thing in the history of Chili's that they've <laughs> ever done that has been bad. Um, they got rid of the grilled chicken Caesar wrap. That was, uh, that was outstanding. That was a go-to for me. Um, they still have the Cajun chicken pasta that's outstanding. Uh, and then you can't go wrong with the triple dipper. Um, and then pretty much anything else. Um, margaritas there are, are as good as a margarita that you can get at a uh very modestly priced chain restaurant in this country but uh but yeah i agree 100 percent. there is literally nothing they can do wrong on that menu this is a very pro chili's podcast so i'm i'm happy to hear it zach you've passed the the original test so we can continue on to the next level of this podcast which is matt coral um, is it Corral or Coral? Because it doesn't matter how many times I listen to it on a broadcast. It doesn't matter how many times I read it in different pieces. Yeah, I am never going to be certain when I say it, even if I've like just heard somebody else say it correctly. I'm going to be nervous about how I pronounce, uh, like how I pronounce said name. It, what what is the final verdict that I'm going to eventually mess it, up later? It, it is Corral. Okay, so it's like you know we're talking about chain Golden Corral. There you go. Like gold, golden Corral. There you go. So that's just remember Golden Corral and you're good. Um, he was listed as a dark horse Heisman candidate, uh, per two, four, seven, a few weeks back. And I didn't realize just how insane his completion percentage numbers were and watching him a lot. I mean, I think everybody remembers just the Alabama game in particular, um, and what he did there, but he beat out John Reese Finley. but it's, it's just funny how things just happen so quickly that it almost feels like, well, that's what should have happened, right? Like he had bounced around. He was a former prize prospect from California and was Florida and just bounced around and all that kind of stuff. But 
he was not a guarantee. Like a lot of people just assumed John Reese Plumley would be a better fit in Kiffin's offense. And then they obviously spread Reese Plumley out wide and gave him some Taysom Hill stuff and Corral won that job. What about Corral made him stand out, made him win that job, made him Kiffin's guy um, last year that you were like, oh yeah, this, this is real. This is our, our new swag Kelly. For me, it was, the thing that jumps out about Matt Corral is the deep ball accuracy. Mm-hmm. I was on full display last year. Um, several throws that he made in, in some big games. He um, had a career game against Alabama. I think you could argue that Ole Miss probably played Alabama better than anyone um, a year ago. A tradition uh, some unlike of the any throws other. that he made. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, Lane Kiffin vying for uh, the first one ever as a former Saban assistant. He'll try to do it. Uh, this season, uh, it, it's probably going to be him or Jimbo if I had to choose. But um, it, that's probably it. Uh, I think for Kiffin and, uh, and and Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, I think the the choice was was pretty obvious. Um, Plumley for everything that he brings to the table athletically, with his legs, with his quickness, um, he has limitations with the arm. Um, and I think that once they saw Corral throw, I mean, this was a guy that. Uh, coming out of high school, won the 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 long throw competition at the the opening in Oregon. Threw a ball 75 yards as a 17 year old. That's uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and he just continued to progress in the offense as the year went on. You know, a lot is made about the Arkansas game where he threw six interceptions. That that game's probably going to be held over his head for another couple years. Um, it'll be something that uh, the NFL teams will look at and see how he's grown, how he's progressed uh, a year later. But I think he saw some maturity uh, as the year went on last year. He was pretty methodical with how he took care of the football. Um, the outback ball was one. If you, if you want to turn the tape on and go back and look at a particular game, that was where you kind of saw the transition from 2020 Matt Corral to 2021 and beyond Matt Corral. Um, took what the defense gave him check down a lot more. He didn't really take a lot of, didn't really take a lot of chances downfield. Um, went through progressions much better. Uh, the Arkansas game, I think if you asked Matt, he would probably admit that he was trying to do too much. So for me, that growth in the offense is probably what is, is really helping him turn the corner to be that dark horse for the Heisman. Um, but for him winning the job over Plumley, I think it was just more of a skill set and just that, that elite generational arm talent that he has. Yeah, I'm excited. He was a lot of fun to watch last year. And you don't really have to go dive into the tape because the SEC Network plays the Indiana Ole Miss game no less than twice a day, Monday through Friday. <laughs> That's right. To deep cut. I, the only reason I know that is because I don't know how you work uh, during the day, Zach, but as I'm reading and doing all my stuff, uh, I have to have something on in the background muted and it's always the SEC network. And I swear that game is on every single day. I could tell you, I could diagnose every play that's coming in the old Miss Indiana game. And it's absolutely preposterous that I can do that, but it's only because it's literally on every single day. Um, it's joining, it's joining the ranks of uh, how there was always a joke. How people would say that Shawshank Redemption mm. is going to be on TBS at some point. <laughs> every night mm-hmm. um and then now speed mm. speed is up there it's usually on amc at some point every night mm-hmm. uh so yeah the uh the outback ball is now joining the ranks of uh shawshank and speed so that's elite company there 
I mean, it is. It is. Um, what was the biggest offensive change you saw from going from Luke Staff to Kevin Staff last year? You know, a lot is made about Corral and, and how good he is, and for good reason. Um, led the country in, in, in yards per game, uh, which is which is wild. Um, with, you know, as bad of a game as he had against Arkansas, as I already mentioned, and then the LSU game, uh, they had their chances to win, but uh, threw some picks, had a bad fumble in that one as well, or I guess a fumble, um, but still led the country in yards per game. But a lot of people forget Ole Miss led the SEC in rushing yards per game a year ago. So I think that that balance that Kiffin and Levy found last year with a uh, with an offensive line that was shuffling, uh, they moved Ben Brown from guard to center, and then they were kind of moving some guys around. Uh, played a lot of new faces on the interior at both guard positions. Um, you had a guy in Royce Newman who was drafted in the seventh round by the Packers. He's gone. But uh, Nick Broker is back. He's probably someone that's going to go in that same realm between five to seven rounds uh, a year from now in uh, the next NFL draft. But um, they were able to just really balance the run and the pass, but then also – they got a trio of backs. So, well, probably now in 2021, you could probably say a quartet. Uh, Jerry Neely, uh, the speedster, Snoop Connor, the bruiser. And they've got two hybrid guys, Henry Parrish and uh, Kentrell Bullock. Uh, Parrish played a good bit last year. Bullock uh, didn't see that much. Um, played a lot of special teams. Uh, played a little bit in the outback bowl with Ely being out with an injury. But um, they've got some, some sneaky good backs. And they were able to keep everyone happy. And uh, I think that's one underrated part of this offense is what Kiffin and Levy do with substitutions and being able to keep guys fresh because they have the luxury of having three to four guys to, to rotate in at running back. But that's probably what I would say is why the offense was so good a year ago. Um, you could see it in the Alabama game. They really committed to the run and were really physical. Um, you don't see a lot of teams – get really physical with Alabama. And I know last year's Alabama defense wasn't your typical Alabama Nick Saban defense. Um, they kind of hit their stride late and, and started to really come into form when they got to the playoff. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, I mean, that's a team that's got four and five-star guys all over the place. And Ole Miss really took it to them. Matt Corral was part of that, that rushing attack against Alabama. He uh, uses his legs well. He knows when to run. He knows when to slide. But that's probably the, the more underrated part of this offense is just how well – and how efficient they run the football. How close do you think Levy was to taking the UCF job? Oh, it was really close. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the job makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, I think Levy is going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. Um, most coaches want to be head coaches one day, um, unless you're Brent Venables. He's the exception. I think uh, he just and maybe is totally fine with being a DC. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Levy wants to be a head coach and, uh, I think he will be, I think he's going to be a good one. Um, but UCF made a ton of sense. The players vouched for him. And, uh, I think it was really close. I, I don't, I don't have this, um, on record or anything, but I, I think the administration at, at central Florida were a little peeved with, uh, maybe him lobbying for it pretty hard and the players kind of lobbying for it. So, you know, you don't want to have the inmates running the asylum type deal, but, uh, I, I, I didn't hate the Gus Malzahn hire. He's a proven commodity. He's he's done it in the SEC, so um, he's more equipped. He, he's a better fit 
from that standpoint. But um, but yeah, Levy was close. Um, and, and and I don't think it had anything to do with anything at Ole Miss or anything with you know how he liked Oxford or his relationship with Kiffin. I think it was just a matter of hey, look, it's just the next step for me as a coordinator. I want to be a head coach. But but yeah, it was it was real close. Um, what is the like when I think about different offenses and what's the best defense to have around that offense, I think about that a lot with Heupel now and how much it's going to change with Tim Banks and the staff um, because it's difficult. And I think Saban struggled with this. I think LSU obviously struggles with this. Uh, Venables has to kind of um, change his scheme year to year based on what he has around him. And just it, it's really hard to, I think, figure out the right defensive philosophy to have year in, year out. Uh, if you're one of the premier programs in college football, um, especially with this kind of speed and the amount of plays, like y'all ran 79.7 plays per game last year, which was third nationally. Um, Lincoln Riley for sure has this problem. Mississippi State, your crosstown rival, has this problem with Leach's offense, but it seems like they have a better understanding of it than a lot of these teams with Arnett, just how good Mississippi State's defense was last year. Um, what is the best de- defensive philosophy for Lane Kiffin in this offense, how would you how would you characterize it, and what is the best style? Is it attacking, turnover, producing, give up a bunch of yards, but make stands the goal line? Like, what is it with this offense? You know, last year we we talked a lot about just just chaos, chaos plays, um, havoc plays, that kind of thing. You know, forcing turnovers, but don't break is the term that's been used for for years. Um, you know, you're seeing a shift now with with defenses in in, in college. Uh, talking with some NFL guys, they, they, they talk a lot about how the linebacker position is almost being phased out. Like the fullback position yeah. has been virtually phased out. Um, you're looking for all these hybrid guys, these, these, uh, these six, three, 235 pound guys that can stand up, but then also put their hand in the dirt. But mostly now with the NFL and how the offenses have evolved in the NFL with what Patrick Mahomes has done um, to really, flip the league on its head is you, you just got to have guys that can run, got to have guys that can cover, cover people in space. And I think that's what you're seeing. Uh, this Ole Miss defense a year ago was really bad. Um, they improved as the year went on. Um, you could see how much of a difference a guy like Otis Reese made a transfer from Georgia who had to sit out. I was eligible to play the final two games, but um, his, his presence in the Outback Bowl was big. Um, he's that type of hybrid, you know, star, bandit, husky, whatever you want to call that kind of linebacker safety who can come down, be physical in the box, but can also, you know, make plays in third level, intercept passes, uh, defend passes, cover guys. And that's that's the type of defense that I think Ole Miss is going to run. They're going to be very multiple. They're going to do a lot of 4-3, but they're also going to do, you know, all the 4-2-5 and they're just going to be all over the place. DJ Durkin has been very vocal about they just want to put the best 11 out there and they want to be able to cover guys in space and they want to be physical. Um, I think that this, this defense is going to take the next step uh, in 2021. I don't know how, how big of a step, but they've got some transfers that are coming in. Uh, some guys that had to sit out last year, they're going to play. Um, talking about hybrid guys, a guy like Jacob Springer that was a all AAC guy at Navy, made a ton of tackles. Uh, for the midshipman, he's going to be eligible. Um, and then you've got a guy like, um, like Chance Campbell that's coming in from Maryland. Uh, made a ton of tackles for the Terps, was uh, recruited by Durkin to play there. Um, he's coming in as a grad transfer, will play immediately. 
you know, there's some, some other guys, some unheard of guys. Mark Robinson is a guy that uh, played running back at the FCS level, and now he is playing linebacker in the SEC. So how, how difficult is that transition going to be for him? But the common denominator with all of these guys, um, they're all big, physical, but they can cover in space. And that's kind of the trend with football right now. So it, to answer your question, what kind of defense is going gonna, is gonna to be able to mesh well with running 80 plays a game and scoring, you know, in the 40s and 50s and sometimes 60s, uh, it, it's going to be that. Just athletic guys that can play um, in space and uh, make tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, that's ultimately what you need to do on defense, make tackles, um, obviously. But, uh, but, yeah, just having that flexibility and the athleticism to, uh, to get out in space and cover. The most exciting new kid on campus this summer is who? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm probably going to go defense. Hmm. Um, they signed seven defensive backs in the 2021 class. Uh, the one that is uh, making a ton of noise uh, because he's already on campus, he uh, got there early, uh, kid out of Philly. And, again, keeping with the theme of, of hybrid athletic covering in space, Tysheen Johnson, uh, four-star kid out of Newman Goretti High School, Uh kind of I, I i i usually dance around using this um but it, it's kind of the world we live in uh with with seeing things you know on youtube all the time and and there's film everywhere on everybody but a guy that, that really made a name for himself and then is now in the league and is, is doing big things is, is, is Tyra matthew the honey badger kind of got those vibes from him uh chris partridge the co-defensive coordinator um who was at Michigan, recruited Jabril Peppers, um, another kid out of the Northeast. He said he's got kind of that vibe to him where they can kind of move him all over the place. Uh, He made a ton of plays in the spring game, uh, whether it was a corner, whether it was at safety, um, you know, playing center field or or, or being a boundary corner. Uh, I think they're going to use him a lot just because of that elite athleticism and just kind of the playmaking ability that he has. If you made me name another guy, that uh, has not reported to campus yet. He'll be there later uh, next month. Um, you know, going with a going with a gimme here. Uh, the highest rated guy they signed um, a year ago, Taiwan Malone, the big defensive tackle. Um, that guy, two sport, two sport guy, plays baseball. Big physical, six four, two ninety five, three hundred. Uh, they haven't really had that impact high school defensive tackle. Uh, probably since Benito Jones, who is now in the league, um, they haven't had that guy. And so it's, it, it's kind of a breath of fresh air for the staff who uh, you know, had to recruit during a COVID uh, abbreviated cycle. They couldn't really do in person uh, at all. It had to be all virtual. And they were able to hold off Texas A&M uh, to sign him. So I'd probably say those two guys, two Northeast guys um, that uh, both play on the defensive side. Um, I'll give you a bonus if you want me to give you an offensive dude. Probably going to have to go with uh, with, Lou with uh, Braylon Brown. <laughs> well, mate, hey, um, may not may not get a ton of reps with Corral being there, but um, but you know, you mentioned Altmaier. That's a dude that's already put on a good ten, fifteen pounds since he's been on campus. I mean, that's the benefit of graduating early and getting in a college weight room, getting on a college nutrition plan. But um, given the middle finger, good. To start from um, Mississippi. <laughs> Yeah, uh, following in the footsteps of uh, of 
of one Arthur uh, Arthur Brown <laughs> um, leading start goal for, for, for Ole Miss. But, uh, yeah, Altmaier, I'd, I'd like to see him in some blowouts, get some reps. Um, I think he's, he's a guy that has the chance to be special, how quick his release is. He's got really good feet. Um, but, yeah, offensively, I'd probably go with Braylon Brown, the wide receiver uh, out of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, that high school could sound familiar for some Ole Miss fans. That's where Elijah Moore went. Um, he's bigger than Elijah Moore, um, 6'4", 190. Um, they need a big guy, big target to come in. Ontario Drummond's going to be gone after this year. Braylon Sanders will be gone. So they need that type of playmaker on the outside to, uh, to go with the inside receivers that they're able to recruit now with the success they've had with A.J. Brown playing slot and with Elijah Moore having his uh, – you know, record-breaking year and then going to the Jets. So um, those are three names that I'd give you right there, Tysheem Johnson, Taiwan Malone, and, and Braylon Brown. All right. Um, last thing we'll wrap up here. When you look at the schedule for this fall, what it, what does it feel like to you? What is your gut telling you on May 27, 2021? If, barring major injuries, how does the schedule look for you? What are you thinking? I saw Vegas put out some win totals the other day. Uh, the number that I saw for Ole Miss was seven and a half. I feel like that's pretty pretty much on the nose. I think that's a good number. Uh, Injury-free, winning your non-conference, taking care of business there, I think you take the over. Because, um, look, I think you win your four non-con and then you go four and four in the SEC. That's kind of a uh, – if I'm being bullish, I'd say that's the floor. Um, I think they could very easily win their non-conference games. I think they're favored by eight over Louisville. I think a team that they can handle at a neutral site, I think they're going to be better um, on offense. And then uh, Louisville kind of hit or miss last year on defense. They um, they were uh, they were susceptible to the pass, and as you know, Ole Miss can uh, can do that well. But I think mm-hmm. that Ole Miss is is going to be motivated to go in there in Atlanta. It's going to be a full capacity. I saw that they announced that it'll be full capacity for that game. Uh, Ole Miss fans travel well for neutral site games for bowl games. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a big crowd, and I think they're going to want to make a statement. Um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, I mean, they're not going to be challenged in the non-conference. Um, oh, interesting! Key, Shots fired at the Hugh Freeze Bowl. Well, you know that's that's another podcast for another day. But um, I mean, they might have yeah, the I mean, best quarterback in the country, sir. They might have the best, like a uh, Heisman. Uh, Malik Willis might be that guy. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of that. Um, yeah, a lot of people are, are, are high on him. Um, who knows? I, he played well last year. Um, I would pencil in that game. That's going to be friendly. fun, but I would not uh, not pencil in that one because, like, you got Texas A and M at home the following week, and then this is like sandwiched at a bad time. Liberty uh, at Auburn and Texas A and M. I don't know. That's a little concerning if I'm a now, Rebel fan. And I will and I will say to combat that because I have looked at it um, previously, but but Liberty has. A, a low-key tough slate, uh, mm. tough couple weeks to end the season as well. Um, so, you know, very emotional game. Hugh Freeze coming back. I'd say what you want about him um, and, and how people in Oxford feel about him. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. Again, I think that that's just one where it's going to be high scoring. It might be close for a little bit. But if Ole Miss is, is on their game offensively, I don't really know that Liberty can challenge them defensively I, I think that Willis is going to get his on offense because Ole Miss is has their limitations defensively and and there's no telling how they're going to look at that point but but I think Ole Miss can win that game by a couple touchdowns I, I just think the 
the SEC caliber roster that they have going up against Liberties, I think that they can get by that. But, you know, you look at the full, the full schedule and you look at it from a, you know, 5,000 foot view here. I mean, I think eight and four is attainable. Um, I think that if you're, if you're looking in conference, I think, you know, wins over Vandy, Mississippi state, Arkansas, and, uh, you made me throw another one in there. I mean, right now, I think I saw that it's a pick 'em mm. against LSU, which you have them at home. Yeah. Well, I don't really know. Well, the problem with I that don't... is you're coming off a loss at Knoxville, which that's already penciled in. <laughs> like, we can just go ahead and pencil that one in. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, f- I forgot about that one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really know what to think about LSU. I-, I wasn't impressed with them last year. I don't know how they can really improve. Um, you know, the. You know, well, they've got, you know, X amount of experience back. Well, if it's bad experience, how, how does that help you improve? Mm-hmm. I, I, Miles Brennan's still got to show me some things. So See, that's, yeah, that's another that thing. I, I thought Mac Johnson was really good. He was awesome in that Florida game. I don't know why Miles Brennan should be considered the yeah, favorite I, over Max Johnson. Yeah, and then, you know, um, you know, they lost it. His name is escaping me right now, but they lost another quarterback in their room. He's oh, transferred JT to Finley. Auburn. Yeah. Um, yeah, the big guy. Um, he's Finley gone. JT Finley, I get it. I don't know. I get it back. I, T, yeah, yeah, TJ. Yeah, yeah, TJ's right. Yeah, the big guy. He's gone. Um, and, you know, Auburn, new coaching staff, Brian Harson, whole new philosophy. Gus Malzahn's not there anymore. So, how is, you know, how are they going to be? Um, They're a huge wild I, I think card. Ole Miss got no robbed. Idea. Yeah, uh, Ole Miss got robbed in that one last year. Mm-hmm. Um, controversial call, guy touching the ball, going into the end zone. Um, should have been ruled to safety. It was ruled touchback. You know, what could happen with that game? Um, I, I think that's another one that's circled for Ole Miss. Um, Blake Kiffin was very vocal about that and how uh, he felt about that missed call. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- th- this, this 2021 season could be anywhere from, from six wins uh, to, you know, best case Ole Miss can, you know, sneak up on some folks and trip somebody up and win nine. Who knows? I mean, you've got arguably one of the most explosive players at quarterback, um, in my opinion, uh, with the resume that he has, I, I think that he should be preseason first team all SEC. I know there's a lot of talk about Bryce Young and a lot of the hype around him and the potential. And then JT Daniels had a, a, a good yeah. close to his 2020 season. Um, but again, Matt Corral, returning leader in yards per game, I, I think that he has as, as good of a case for a first team preseason all SEC as anyone. But yeah, if you made me, if you made me choose, I'd probably say eight and four. Um, you know beat beat somebody you shouldn't lose to somebody you shouldn't that type of season yeah the kind of season where like they beat they beat auburn but they lose to tennessee feels about right yeah i think we can go and pencil that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it it makes all the sense in the world for lane kiffin to to be the first to to beat nick saban and then you turn around and and you know lose a weird one to well going to to texas a&m you know after Kiffin's yeah. return to Knoxville will be fun. I'm excited for it because also I think the sentiment has changed by and large uh, after seeing all the different people. Like he's not as hated as he used to be, and I think he enjoys it. It's just really hard to hate Lane Kiffin in 2021. He's just a fun personality. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I think it's very difficult to dislike him, and I think people are just like, man, if he would have stayed, things would have been better. <laughs> a lot of it. That's the where it is. Like, yeah, he did it. Well, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. You know, where do you stand on that? Because he. Did a lot of great things in one year there. I mean, he made Jonathan Crompton look like a quarterback. Um, I mean, recruited really I well. The, what and, people forget about that, though, is he was a five-star quarterback. 
coming out of high school. Like Crompton was highly touted. Um, he just really was not a not a good college quarterback at all. It was just it did not translate the star rating. Yeah. And um, but I mean, he should be Bama in year one. Like they had that game won. There was no excuse to lose that Bama oh, yeah. game the way oh, they yeah. lost. I mean, Kiffin should have been the first one to beat Saban a long time ago. Um, but yeah, no, the recruiting. I, I don't know if it would have worked long term with firing his dad monty kiffin because the defense was not great but i don't think that would have been the best situation but i don't know i think kiffin would have been great long term and i think he's still probably the best coach tennessee's had since fulmer um but jones i think gets a little bit too much uh because of his stuff that he does himself with the the champions of life and he bring he he brings because he's not the coach anymore he brought a lot of that on himself brick yeah um I don't know. I think it'll be interesting with uh, what happens this fall with Hypo. I think at the very least, they'll be fun and average. Six and six feels about right. They'll be fun. Average, good offense. Defense is going to really stink. There's just no linebackers at all. I think Aaron Willis is going to get cleared this week, it looks like. But um, I don't know. The fact that I talked to Tiger Illustrated uh, fellow rival site, uh, Larry Williams, about this yesterday, was just how close Tony Elliott was to taking Tennessee job, which is just uh, brutal myself to listen to that just how close and people within the staff thought he was gonna take it so just uh i i I don't know and then we also just don't even know what tennessee sanctions are still like we have no idea what's gonna happen there at this point so i don't know i mean you you don't know you don't know what the 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 golden arches investigation yes (laughs) some of that the baseball team had fun with yeah I, i i didn't hate the hypo hire um and, you know, going against, the, you know, you were talking about the hype around Tony Elliott, and he's a fantastic coordinator. Um, but Heupel's a proven guy who's mm. who's done it at, you know, probably, I would say, arguably the best group of five program in the country. And uh, he did it at a high level, and, and they were able to compete. He kind of built off of what Scott Frost built there. And, um, no, I mean, I think that, like you said, they're going to be exciting. They're going to put up a lot of points. Um, and, and that's really – kind of where you need to be in college football right now. I mean, people, you know, want to argue that defense wins championships, but I think it's completely shifted Yes. now. I, I think it's all offense. I mean, I mean, look at look at last year. I mean, if you can even imagine Alabama's offense last year was better than the LSU-Joe Burrow offense. I mean, that's just crazy yeah. to think about. But I think that the seismic shift in what wins in college football is, is is where you're seeing all of these young up and coming coordinators, head coaches. I mean, you talk about Heifel, we talk about Elliott, you know, we mentioned Jeff Levy earlier. It's all about generating offense and scoring points and then just figuring out the defense later. Yeah. What can we check out from you uh, across the internet this week, Zach? Yeah, you can keep up with everything uh, at um, redcuprebellion.com. You mentioned them, part of the SB Nation Box Media World. Uh, got a lot of SEC baseball coverage there. Um, and then also you can check out all of my work and, and other good stuff from my colleagues at rebelgrove.com, part of the Rivals Yahoo Network. Uh, the dead period is over next week. Uh, camp season, unofficial visit season, official visit season, whatever you want to call it season, uh, is going to be underway. Uh, so we'll have tons of recruiting coverage over there and um, lots of, uh, you know, um, baseball coverage there as well with uh conference tournaments wrapping up this week and then regionals um you know host sites being announced and then uh college baseball postseason getting underway in my opinion one of the more underrated uh seasons in sports i know 
college baseball is kind of a niche. But uh, I mean, you as a Tennessee fan. Oh, it's been great. Tony yeah, Bartolo's done in, in Knoxville is 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 awesome. So, um, yeah, gotta gotta continue to grow the game, Chase. Yeah, I'm 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 here for it. It's it's fun. It's it's a very different game when you watch the Braves and then you watch the Vols. It's a very different style, uh, <laughs> but it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Um, that's all I've got, Zach. But thank you for the time. We'll check in again on uh, Ole Miss very soon. All right, the sports reporter plus one other sports reporter has assembled no andrew hammond this week and next he is away but we promise andrew of the detroit free press is great andrew we miss you but here the daily beast robert silverman robert good afternoon sir how are you good afternoon chase how are you feeling about tonight i am i am, I am a giant clenched fist of tension I spent all of Wednesday night watching that game just curled in a terrible little fetal ball, chain vaping, and enjoying none of it. It was just terrifying and awful. Eight years without playoff basketball, man. Let me tell you, I have lost all of my chill. I can't just enjoy it the way I could back in, uh, I don't know, the early 19th century when the Knicks were in the playoffs all the time. What, uh, What is your flavor for your vapes? I just go regular, man. Virginia. Okay. Interesting. I'm not. I'm not smoking any candy-colored. No poison. watermelon. No, I tried. They gave me one once. My the guy who runs my bodega evidently couldn't sell a couple of his flavored ones, so they were going to get chucked because evidently they have an expiration date. Um, and so he gave me a not a Jewel brand, an off-brand vape for free and i tried it and it was awful (laughs) i think it was uh it might have been watermelon it could have been mango either Mm. way it just was not good i want it to taste like the bottom of an ashtray that's a comfortable (laughs) familiar sensation to me one that i know oh man that's that's great um like just like licking out the every little bit of grime stuck to the bottom of a wet ashtray shit that that was heavy yeah that's heavy bob um i don't know what to do with this series i don't know where my head I, I have no idea what's gonna happen my prediction my official uh sad sack knicks fan prediction was hawks and six that was what i said before the series started i was hawks and seven but i flipped back to knicks and seven damn I don't know. They're very evenly matched teams. That is, but they ac- shouldn't be. That's why it's so annoying. The talent differential okay. is night and day. The amount of talent that the Knicks have in comparison to the Hawks is just—it's not not particularly close. And wow, I thought you were going to go the other way with that. No, Bogey, Gallo, Capella, Collins, Hunter, Trey, Lou. I mean, the rotation that the Hawks should be simplifying and Herder uh, as well should just be way way more than the yes the oh, oh i thought you're i thought i can i got confused there i thought you were gonna say the knicks out talented the hawks no, no no clearly the hawks are the more talented team like derrick rose playing 37 minutes and doing what he's doing is very frustrating for me it's it's a it's it's he really has now that he's all most of his athleticism has faded he has entirely ripped off a lot of early 2000s andre miller's arsenal and it's really kind of fun i think that's cool and good 
that's fun to watch. How do you feel about the fans and their their chance? Their great chance about uh, Trey Young's balding and uh, yes. the F Trey Young, and then the spinning. I don't incident. know, man. This this Hunter Pence school of taunting. I just it feels forced. Mm-hmm. Just tell him to you know use a couple of curse words. Tell him he sucks. That's it. Stick with the classics. But what I like this about is, this, this though, is all straight out of the Celtics chance Twitter account. That's my <laughs> big beef with it. Um, you don't have to spit on him. Like all that kind of stuff is terrible. Oh, and the spitting is yeah. That guy, look, that guy. Lifetime ban. Yeah, ban. Forget it. You're gone. One of the first Madison Square Garden fans to actually deserve a lifetime ban, and for reasons having other than to do with saying something rude about the owner. Um, do, do you know about the Celtics chance Twitter account? I do not. Okay, uh, so at some point in the late uh, 2000s, 2009, 2010, uh, current ringer impresario Bill Simmons <laughs> felt that the chance. At oh, Celtic I remember this. I remember the yes. corny chance. I do remember this. Yes, For I remember the tweets. Par, yes. So he created a Twitter account designed to spur Celtics fans to go with Wait, different Bill chance. Wait, Bill created this? Yes. Oh, I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah, this is his baby. This, oh uh, as far as I know, maybe someone actually made the Twitter account as a joke, but he did write a whole column about chants that should be chanted because he felt that the chanting was subpar. I did not know this. Oh, yeah. One of them was for Vince Carter, and it's just chanting WNBA, which in addition to being incredible, well, it's that he's a lady, see? Oh, which is inherently it's- negative. Yeah, yeah, that has not aged well. It didn't mm-hmm. age. It it wasn't g- good or funny or interesting at the time either. It was still sexist crap, mm-hmm. but it's gotten a lot worse over time. Uh, like none of the chants actually were chantable. First mm-hmm. of all, leaving aside the fact that it's incredibly sexist and dumb to call a man a lady as a way to insult him. Um. Try to chant WNBA in a way that is rhythmic and pleasing. You can't. This is why professional wrestling names are so important, Bob. Like, really? your name is so critical. Like, there is something about uh, let's go Cena chant. Cena sucks. Like, that that flows. Like, the chants yeah, it's a good go. Rhythm. You Cena need to have sucks. good names. If you Cena have a bad sucks. name, Cena sucks. Right. That's why, look, one of the classic MSG chants was for former New York Islanders great defenseman Dennis Potvin. Mm. Now, this is before you were born, you <laughs> peevish little sapling. But back in the 19, late 1970s, Dennis Potvin, Islanders great defenseman, uh, put a vicious hit on a ranger by the name of Ulf Nielsen. So bad that he broke his leg and kept him out of the playoffs. And for a good six years, Rangers fans just chanted, Potvin sucks. Again, like Cena, it's a good rhythmic one. Pot fan sucks. Pot fan sucks. Hmm. Have you ever been involved in a chant? Because, like, I just feel like pro chants are not as not as cool as college. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, clearly chants. not. They were just, they were singing the Seven Nation Army last on Wednesday at the Knicks game, and that was very. I didn't like that. That wasn't good. There was um. There was a horrible. You just jogged my memory back to high school, but I seem to recall. <laughs> Uh, the Parkview Brookwood rivalry. I know you know all about it. Like you're, oh you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go back. You were you were keeping well, up with it. But the, you know, for the listeners at home, you might want to break it down. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're a big rivalry. It's our the the Battle of Five Forks back in back in Georgia, and uh, 
there was a chant because I believe and I, I, I could be wrong here, but I seem to recall at a basketball game, the part where you broke with basketball game, there was a chant directed at a Brookwood cheerleader. I think the main popular one. I'm not going to use any names here, but I uh, I seem to recall them literally chanting about her pregnancy. She got pregnant like 16 or 17 and chanted it at like the student sector. Like chants uh, at that point, I was like, what are we doing? Like, why are let's just get rid of chants. No one can do chants. No one can be responsible. No one can just not be vicious. Chants just turn into they can just for me. They just get out of pocket so quickly. But I was stunned. I just forgot about that whole thing. That was horrible, horrible. Sorry, man. That sounds bad. Yeah, it's just bad, right? Like, chants, and I was thinking about that with Trey, and you just remember, like, mostly chants are bad. They just get bad quickly. I think maybe just because of the amount of people involved, and I don't know it, who it attracts, chants. Like, the wave also should be banned. The wave is terrible. The wave's never good. Not a fan of the wave. Um, pro wrestling has the volleyball, or not volleyball, the beach ball that bounces around after the Raw after WrestleMania. When you're I mean, you know about that when you're you're still jazzed up. You 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 love the Raw after WrestleMania, right? Like that's one of your favorite uh, sports viewing experiences every year, right? No, but I did watch the Rowdy Roddy Piper documentary on the NE. That was kind of fun for me. Was that the dark? Uh, are you so, talking about the dark side of the ring stuff? No, this is the one that's done in conjunction with uh, A and E Network and WWE. Oh, itself, I know what you're so talking about. Yeah, 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 but it's good. Yeah, yeah. like. It's a, it was a quality Rowdy. They got a lot of archive footage of of the Rowdy one giving interviews. They talk with his family. They talk with you know Greg the Hammer, Valentine, and and Ric Flair and Sergeant Slaughter. So that was fun for me. And you know the, uh, there was a huge chunk on the big match between him and Hogan and Mister T and uh, Paul Orndorff. So good good documentary. But no, I haven't caught. Uh, wrestling mm. let alone wrestlemania in a while it's been a um while. how do you think the series ultimately unfolds i'm like sticking, like thinking I'm about it sticking with my prediction i think it's going to be hawks and six i really do i think look so why do you think that McMillan, why do you think it's, you don't think the next figure because i think out mcmillan is going to get over his temptation not to keep the rotation at the same as it was during the regular season he has to, didn't do that last year and they lost they did that whole i know series. i know I, we can't assume that they have to play Trey thirty, Trey thirty eight minutes a game, and I think the Hawks win. I think they they win easily. Look, they would have they would have they could very easily have pulled out last night's game, were it not for the fact that from the final five minutes, Bogdanovich and Hunter missed a ton of wide open three points. Yeah, they were uncontested threes. Any one of them could have swung the momentum of that game. The, the Hawks have gotten unlucky. Gallo's been awful. Gallo's missed every shot he's taken. Gallo's missed every shot, and I think he may need to just shave his head and get rid of the Mohawk, (laughs) because the Mohawk is not helping. No. No. He had one. Well, you know what's weird? I was talking about with the fellow Atlanta Sport. I was talking with the Atlanta Sport guys about this earlier today, and we were all talking about the series. And, like, the weird thing with y'all is... (laughs) Wow, getting real. The Hawks play big. Like they, McMillan uh-huh. has been adamant about playing Collins and Capella together for long stretches, and then putting in Nkongwu at times. Like he is playing big, and it doesn't matter if you watch these two games. It doesn't feel like the Hawks are playing big over the Knicks at all. No, no, uh, Collins has been invisible, especially in just, two. just especially. Well, the foul trouble really 
didn't help much, but he wasn't great in game one either. No. I, I don't know what. He's losing a lot of money in the series. Yeah, he certainly is. There is no if you based it entirely just on the last two games, there is no reason for the Hawks to keep him around. Um, if I, I think the Hawks, what they're doing defensively is fine and they should stick with it. I think they need to play Trey Young more. I think they probably can give Collins the hook earlier and keep and go small. Um, there's no reason to play Tony Snell up in the series at all. I know they're very attached to to Sweet Lou Williams, and don't get me wrong, Lou Williams I mean, he is saved awesome. him in Game One. Like Lou literally saved the Hawks did, in Game One. He did. Um, I think they they might be in a little more trouble if if Thibodeau finally does yank P- Peyton from the rotation. Well, once I mean, he basically already has. He's playing what six minutes? <sighs> yeah, but. There's, why would you give away six minutes of the game? He's unplayable. Isn't it crazy the, how that works? Like just the Hawks have another advantage. It's like Nerlens Noel has been a huge defensive presence for the next yeah. season. He's the only player in the NBA to average more than a steal and two blocks per game, and he did it in about twenty-five minutes a game. He is just an octopus mm. in terms of getting collections, blocks, steals, especially defending the rim. Yeah, but the dude has a couple of cast iron skillets for hands. Um, and what the Hawks have done, which is very smart, is just said they just realized when he's on the floor they're not going to guard him. And the problem is, you start the game with him and Peyton on the floor. That's basically playing three and five on offense, and it's why the Hawks have gotten out to like eight point leads in the first two quarters. Um, that can't happen. I mean, I would be fascinated to see if the Hawks went small and then the Knicks followed suit. Mm. The Knicks haven't gone small all year. Not once since the first the first week they dallied around with playing Randolph and Toppin together. But since then, it's been almost entirely abandoned. So I don't know if they can make that kind of a switch this late in the game, but. I'm just waiting for Rose to fall off a cliff. He can't keep up with this minute. No, stuff, he right. Can. Yeah, he can. I, he can. Rose I mean, can. if he falls off a cliff, that the series is over for y'all, I think. If he does, the series is over. They need him to score 20 points a game in order to win. Which is uh, crazy, although, but that's the whole thing. It, in 2021, this should not be a thing. This is why I'm no, just like the disparity where I'm yeah, like, the they're done. last night by getting um, a circa 2011 performance from Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson turning into Dennis Rodman. That's how they won. Taj is good. I he's only good for Tibbs. He'll only be good for Tibbs. But like that yes. dude does stuff for Tibbs, and yes. he will ride in, or die. In the year twenty seventy, when half the planet is underwater and gangs of radioactive mutants are are, are, are roaming the the landscape for flesh, Taj will still put up a good twenty minutes as a backup on a Tibbs coach team somehow. Yeah, I'm just nate's got to adjust like he if he wants to remove the interim label he has to adjust in game three i yeah. swear i am going to throw my tv out you the window play, if look, it's 35 the Hawks, tonight. here's what you do you play you give 38 minutes to capella and trey young you give 36 to to bogey you give a lot of time a lot more time to hunter who while he's not back hunter and herder hunter and herder uh you know hunter for his defense herder for his ability to hit shots um, and you roll with those five guys. Yeah. Those like four. we're nearing the point of just pulling Collins from the rotation. See that? I don't think he can do. He is a good stretch big. No, because He's if just, you want to play like Gallo, I just, I guess it's really just 
it you can play him or Gallo. Pick your poison. Exactly. Pick that one. yeah. Pick one. <sighs> I'm already stressed, uh, Bob. I it's a stressful thing, and you should stop sending me rude text messages. You know what it is during the game. I wish we could watch it together, it makes Bob. Me mad. I wish we could watch it together. That would be fun. I would. I, I'm telling you, no one would want to see me. Me watching a game is a very alone experience. I was able to go to a bar. I went to a bar on the inside. I sat inside a bar, and I had nachos with some friends to watch the um, the Warriors Grizzlies play in game last week. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. It Aren't was sporting awesome events just better in bars and fun? And that was great because I didn't have a vested interest in either team winning, really. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. I have been invited to watch tonight's Knicks game with a another crew of, of buds, of, of guys being dudes. And I told them no, because I'll be a raving lunatic. But that's the point. No, I don't need to subject anyone else to that. That's a me alone time thing. That's that's it. I may watch game five with my dad, who is has years of experience in me being a raving lunatic and will not judge me harshly for it. I uh I was I think uh the lady recorded me with that tray floater game winner and uh game one. I was I was listening. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me where I like get closer to the TV and I stand when things are tense. I t- I just no. get closer. No. No. I I you, now this is definitely a reference that's probably not in your lane but in the 19 late 1980s David Lynch the director also drew a cartoon strip, a weekly cartoon strip. That was called The Angriest Dog in the World. Mm-hmm. Appeared in a couple of free New York weeklies. Um, and the first panel is always the same. It's just a shot of a backyard and a strangely circular-looking, non-moving dog. And it describes how he is so filled with rage, he cannot move, he cannot speak, he can barely breathe. That's me during the next game, is what I'm saying. Interesting. Uh-huh. What yeah, kind of nachos no, do you get? Uh well uh the bar the one of the one of our guests was a vegetarian so we got vegetarian so we got some black bean some guac some cheese some crema it was a nice nachos classy nacho interesting yeah I nachos are hit and miss they don't travel well don't travel well no no you need to get them with a group of people because everyone needs to just attack them immediately yeah or else you get wilted tortilla chip sludge at the end and you're mad at paying $15 for this pile of food that everyone only ate two bites of. What is so your, really what's their power rankings for bar food? What's the power rankings? Top I three. think it's gotta be, I think wings is number one. It's a classic. Sure. But you know, wings, they're spicy enough that everyone is happy after you eat two or three. They're, you know, what's your favorite and, flavor? Uh, I like, I like, it depends. Either garlic parmesan or Ooh, yes, sir, or like the or like a hoisin infused spicy Szechuan. Mm. Those are interesting. The lady will get like yeah, like hot sauce and then just like put really hot sauce really on it. numbing hot sauce with like the Szechuan peppercorns. Those, Dude, that, I have that, bad acid reflux now, and I can't even do that anymore. It's very sad. Really, just just eat just gobble tums. It'll be fine. Drink some Pepto. I know. I I probably need to drink Pepto like every day for the rest of my life. That's fine. That that won't have any adverse repercussions. That'll be fine. Was that sarcasm or do you fully A little bit, it? yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about Tums? It's, Can you take Tums every day? I don't like Tums. I don't like chewing them. They're all chalky and weird. Mm. I don't know what the I have some is I have some candy shaped chewable Tums though. So Are those But I try not to I try not to hit those up too hard because again they taste like candy and they're not candy. 
<laughs> um, two minutes on. You got it. Our friend, our buddy. That's the grift right. is complete. I am. I am kind of stunned by this. I mean, granted, I probably shouldn't be, but. Uh, for those who do, who missed it yesterday, the slot by the Premier Radio Networks from 1 to 3 p.m., possibly the largest talk radio platform in the country, formerly held by Rush Limbaugh, a uh, unrepentant and unreconstructed bigot and uh, absolute poisoner of the American mind now for going on for decades, RIP though, um, has been replaced with the tag team of uh, Clay Travis and, and someone who I believe his name is Suck Bexton. I could be mm-hmm. wrong about yeah. that. Um, it, it, it's it's a little look. Clay, I think the one thing that Clay realized. I mean, he he wrote this in a in a blog posted Outkick, which I don't recommend anyone read at all because he he Bob, there's he, zero chance I'm reading that. He's a he's not good at writing words, um, but. He mentions that, you know, his political opinions got a lot more attention than his sports takes, and that's why he felt it was time for this mood. And I'm like, yeah, your political opinions did get a lot more attention because you were boosted by the entire conservative media apparatus for months because of your borked COVID predictions. And it's like the inverse the, of the Trump effect on liberal news stations, like, where like they their numbers were better and they were addicted more to it. Why people responded to this, Clay? Yeah, it didn't happen because of your great insights or rapier wit or anything. It happened because, unlike say the world of sports, in which there was no real need or desire to boost this to a larger audience. In fact, you worked with the White House, man. So. I, am I surprised that he's been elevated into this role? No, not entirely. Do I think it's the right thing for him to do for his career? Sure. Um, but uh, as someone who, who has written a, co- a couple, yeah, or at least like three stories now on Clay Travis, reported three stories on Clay Travis, yeah. which is a real damning sentence to say out loud, um, and has listened to his radio show, he's just, it's, it's, you know, granted, his typical sports talk subject matter is SEC football, and it's not something I care about. But I am, I am flabbergasted as to why anyone would find it entertaining. It, it was just a contrarian perspective um, that he just he found like a little he found this block. I forgot. I think we talked about it on this podcast. Yeah, we a did few months ago, where it's like these they find these little blocks. And it's the Substack route. It's what Greenwald's doing a little bit now. Like they find these little pockets and then they just turn it into this cash cow. And we're just like, how did that happen? And they just, they saw, <laughs> like, I, it just happened so quickly. And you see what they did. And it was just like this weird manipulation that I, 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 mean, I can't think he will last in this. And granted, when it comes to these kinds of predictions, I really hope I'm, uh, you know, I'm usually well, wrong. People don't last in these, like when you follow people like this. I remember. Right. I mean, I, look, granted, I am absolutely stunned that Will Kane has managed to gain a foothold in the Fox News broadcast. That is a name I have not heard in a long time. Will Kane is a regular on Fox and Friends Weekend. Will Kane is a host there. He is absolutely. Why would I know that, Bob. Why I am not spending my because weekend with Will Kane and Fox and Friends. You on need to dive deep into. I will not. 
the mud pile with me and the things that I know about. Yeah, like, I don't just wanna, I down can't do that with deep into the into the absolute dregs of the internet experience, so you can know about Will Kane's broadcast schedule. But you know what's strange about that to me, like Will Kane leaving ESPN for that, and now Clay Travis doing the Fox News thing, where it's like for the amount of hate that they seem to have about intersecting politics into sports to that's pick their politics only over that's their only job their only job is inter- is is trying to claim that pol- is is to complain that sports should be free of politics and then talk about nothing but the politics right that are self-evident in sports because they know that the people that share their politics will tap into that and there's yes. some money like it's just but i just would it's a it's sad weird to me because to me. clay travis doesn't have an actual audience his radio show according to him, does well. And I don't have actual information to say otherwise. But look, great. You have a very well popular syndicated radio show. But nobody actually reads Outkick. No one does. That would be nobody weird. Reads. If I'm just at a sports bar this summer and I'm like, yeah, what do you like to read? And they're like, oh, I love reading the, the great coverage at Outkick. I'm like, what? No one uh, reads yeah. that website. No one reads it. No one reads it. It's very, very odd to me. Um but, you know, <laughs> I am I, interested, like, the thing that's bizarre to me is that Clay, it, like you said, Clay's only hook is him screaming that actually, what if LeBron James did fake a hate crime and, and, and to, to SEC football fans? So I, I don't know how he's going to do when unmoored from bad faith sports punditry. Yeah. Like, I, I, he, he does not have the skill set to opine about international trade agreements but you know what stinks i don't think he's gonna try and do that he's just gonna come he's gonna add sports into this whole thing and they're gonna complain about sports and politics not no, uh, i know it's a separate war on a all the way show. down it's just culture war stuff yes. they will find whatever nonsense is burbling around the right-wing outrage cycle and they will regurgitate it to an audience that is so happy to have their misperceptions repeated back to them like last night when he went on tucker carlson he said revealing his desperate sick mind that he knows this last night when clay travis went on tucker carlson the thing they complained about is what is a letter to the uh, a dear prudence editor in slate which i am fairly sure was not actually based in reality but someone pranking slate and they wrote about their husband who wouldn't take his mask off ever not even during sexual relations and they got like the chiron was liberals refuse to have sex without masks or something to that exact effect and i'm like guys the 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 advice columnist said, get your partner help. Yeah, there are going to be people who, after 600,000 Americans alone have died and countless of thousands others have long-term illnesses, that they're going to have trauma attached to that. Even let's just assume that this letter is actually true because golly gee, people write in fake problems to the dear ex-columnist all the time. But even assuming it's true, it's like, okay. Some people deal with trauma. Some people it takes a long time to process that. Who cares? It's That's dumb. What he's gonna... Like I would just it's I don't so know how you do dumb. this every day. I they, don't understand they this. So little of their audience. No, I truly believe that no one has more contempt for their audience than the Clay Travises of the world. Really, just none. I mean, to, to shovel that up before the little piggies and be like, here, eat this slop. It's just I don't think Vince McMahon oh, likes her wrestling fans i've always been under the impression that he is not a fan of his own audience 
Right. But in a different way, I think he does actually try to service what they want. Mm, I think he tries to service what he likes and hopes that they like it. I am not a wrestling expert by any stretch of the imagination and should probably shut the fuck up before I make that assertion about what Vincent does and does not like. Um, So retract, retract, edit, edit, retract. I didn't say anything. Like to put a bow on that, like my whole thing is I just I don't want to do that. I just I have too much. (laughs) I don't I don't really understand this line of thinking i guess it's all money related i guess if you want to go the full cynical realistic route as to why people choose to pivot and go down this rabbit hole is money and they see the the monetary there's a lot of money on this yeah i just i couldn't do it my existence i just could not live with myself i don't know how they do it it's it's a lot easier if you don't have anything resembling a moral core or ethics and I mean, Will Kane had a great show. Like, like, I'm not saying great show in topic wise, but like, he had a great thing going. ESPN. All he they had to do to was hire like, him, as far as I can tell, or as far or that's what I read in the papers anyway. Like, like ESPN didn't want to ditch him. Like, why would you not want to? Wouldn't it be more fun to do the ESPN thing than pivot to Fox and do that kind? Of, I just don't understand it from my perspective. If you want to be I a sports guy, like, why would you want to pivot to that? I never really understood that. I let's. No, no, Please not try to parse the mind of Will Kane, and I think that's a bad, bad yeah. path to head down. But in any case, congratulations, Clay, um, on the new job in which far more people will be exposed to your brilliance. That'll do it for this <laughs> week on The Sports Reporters. Bob Silverman, can we check out anything from you? Uh, no, I did finish a, a story that I was hinting at uh, a couple, two or three podcast episodes ago. It is filed. My editors have it. It's a little long. My editor, I believe, would, if he had his druthers, gouge my out with a warm fork. But it is done. Uh, it is being edited. That'll be out soon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna avoid saying what it's about. But let's say there is a tangential relation to some of the themes that we've been discussing today that's right folks i'm writing a, a fourteen thousand word blog about julius randall and it'll be mm. ready i think you're gonna say pro wrestling yeah 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 a pro wrestling story um i never I, I i i would love to write a pro wrestling story i don't have a good one right now but this one will be about a kind of pro wrestling he said cryptically there you go bob silverman always a pleasure sir thanks for having me chase We'll do it again next week without Andrew, who went uh, off We will not do it next week, Bob. What? What? I know. What are you talking about? I'll bear. Fine. Bye, Bob. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.